When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Uh, there are a lot of people who, this Christmas shopping season, are going to be on the sidelines, because we have such a split in how Americans are doing right now, what economists call the K-recovery, where uh, the economic situation is going two ways at once there are sectors of the u.s economy and regions and cities where the u.s economy is in full recovery mode and then other parts of the economy where people are experiencing layoffs right now maybe even for the first time in a year that over 60 million people have been laid off at one time or another since March. So we are going to have a very, very confusing outlook on the economy because some sectors are now getting worse. As an example, uh, there was a lot of publicity surrounding not the kind they want about Walt Disney Company laying off 28,000 more people. And they are just the tip of the iceberg and what's happening in the hospitality industry. A new report that ran in the uh, financial press just two days ago is that 70% of hotels in the United States look likely to go bust, either close till a new buyer emerges or file for bankruptcy because the travel industry is just dead, dead. And then tomorrow is when the airline layoffs start rolling out. If you're not aware, uh, we, the American people, uh, through our representatives in the Congress, gave earlier this year $25 billion to collectively the group of nations, airlines. And in return, the airlines had to commit to not lay anybody off till October 1st. So here we are. At the point of the layoffs, two airlines have been able to work out accommodations with their employees that there will not be layoffs for now, and that's Delta and Southwest. And the others are laying off a headcount in what looks like it's the many tens of thousands collectively among the airline industry. The casino industry, devastated beyond measure, because you think about the things that put you at the greatest risk of getting coronavirus, it's being in an enclosed space for a significant period of time around a substantial number of people. So casino, 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 right? All those conditions. And so people I know who are really into gambling and have been going to casinos 
Uh, one of my friends who loves it told me recently that he and his wife went to a casino and they were found it depressing because it was like no one there. It, it just didn't have any of the life to it. And so casino workers are being laid off in massive numbers. So you know about the consequences for the restaurant industry. What we've got is any sector that fits those things I described with the casinos, where you're in t- indoors, you're around potentially a lot of other people for a substantial amount of minutes, those are key gateways to getting coronavirus. And there are people who are like, hey, let me worry. But there's enough people because all these activities that people are choosing not to do are voluntary activities, not for the workers, but for the customers. And people are saying, you know, that's really something I'm not going to do. And I talked about the movie theater issue, same thing as well. And so we face the prospect of waiting until there are effective treatments that people have confidence in, or there are uh, enough people who get vaccinated by a vaccine that people trust. That takes us uh, pretty far in the future. A third alternative that has worked very well in a number of other countries is that we go to a strict regimen of a very well-organized testing program where you find out who has coronavirus early, where you test in huge numbers and repeatedly, and then you prevent the community spread. Uh, Countries that have done so, their economies are actually as large or larger than they were a year ago. And so that's something we could certainly be looking at as a country that we have not been. So know that there are people who are going to need your help. There are people around you in your community who, if you're doing fine, there are people who are going to need assistance from charities. They're going to need food to eat. There are a number of things that are really at flashpoints for a lot of people who work in certain professions. And a few cities are facing extreme hardship. And the two facing the worst hardship in the United States, Orlando and Las Vegas, where the economies are totally dependent on tourism that's just not there. It's time for your questions for me here on our show, and you post at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate with your questions, and Kim, you are first. All right, this is from Gail in North Carolina. Gail says, I called the mortgage company about my loan and was told that I could recast the loan balance and reduce my payments instead of refining the loan. I've never heard of recasting. Is this something that's wise for me to do? So that term is not an official term. It usually means that you lengthen your loan again. And I assume that's how it was explained to you, that whatever number of years you have, you extend the loan term, which is a highly profitable event for your mortgage lender and not a good event for you, if that is, in fact, what the lender meant by recasting it. So you'd have to know what they mean, and if that is what they mean, then ignore that 
and do a refinance into the ultra-low interest rates that are available in the marketplace today. And if you are somewhere in your low 20s in years remaining on your loan, look at a 20-year loan, or if you can afford the payments, look at a 15-year loan. But don't go back into a new 30-year loan because then again, you're paying many, many additional years. You take your life backwards from whatever number of years you have left back into a 30-year. Joel? Clark David in Virginia says, I heard you discuss the likelihood of rising taxes in the future. I'm 60. My wife is 57. We have a million dollars in retirement funds with about a third of that in Roths. We're both maxing out Roth 401k contributions and catch-up contributions currently. Should we consider converting some of our traditional IRA money to a Roth now? What's the best way to move those funds? We are currently at the bottom of the 24% tax bracket. That is an interesting dilemma because if you're at the bottom of the bracket, you have some breathing space that you can uh, just manage this where you stay in your existing tax bracket. Don't go up from there and convert money each year and the amounts that will keep you in the bracket you're in. And you're allowed to to convert parts of what you have from traditional to Roth and an IRA. And I would consider doing that if you're in a position to pay the additional tax you'll have, because even though your tax rate would stay 24%, you're going to have to pay that percent tax for every dollar you convert. You're going to owe 24 cents. If you can afford to pay the tax from funds you have, then that is a good strategic tax planning move. Kim? Vanessa in Georgia says, I'd like advice on how to find the best life insurance policy. I only want enough to pay for a cremation and to leave my husband enough to pay for any out-of-pocket hospital bills that might be left over. We're on a fixed income. All right. You are very, very sweet to be looking for ways to protect your husband if he outlives you. And the inefficiency of a small policy is that you pay essentially policy charges regardless of the size of a policy and the face amount of insurance you'd be talking about would be likely somewhere between um, 10 and 25,000. So the policy, what you get ends up being very, very expensive for what you would be getting. This is a case where if either of you have access to employer provided life insurance, something that I don't really get jazzed about, but is very inexpensive in this kind of situation, a small amount of employer-provided life insurance would be preferable. The other way to look at this is to think about making the final arrangements much less expensive. And you now can do so a number of ways where you uh, join a nonprofit, a local nonprofit known as a funeral or memorial society. Typical cremation will be in the hundreds of dollars, something that you normally would not need to insure against. In addition, uh, and go to funerals.org to see if there's a local one. In addition, there are organizations that help someone, even um, a survivor taking care of arrangements for someone, that allow you to shop online even when the need is immediate and the price differences from one provider to another for a cremation 
or a burial or whatever it is you want very wildly as well as for various funeral services. So that does not need to be something normally that someone would insure for. The other thing is as far as the medical bills, the medical bills in most states do not become an obligation of your surviving spouse. There are some states that would, but do not sign any financial responsibility form ever for a loved one who's being admitted in the hospital. And those bills usually will uh, go away when you pass away. So that would not normally be something you need to insure either. Joel? Clark Joe in Missouri says, I'm nervous about putting my emergency fund in a money market account that only has an interest rate of 1% with inflation averaging around 3%. Is that still the best choice for me? Uh, just an FYI, we have our $25,000 emergency fund sitting in our checking account right now. So you can go in, if you go in a money market fund that's paying 1%, you are going to fall behind inflation right now. So the question is, the money that you would have, if it is rainy day money, you have to park it like that. In a savings account, a CD, a money market account, where you know the money is going to be preserved dollar for dollar, even though the earnings will fall behind inflation. Because that's money that preservation of it is more important than growth of it. Money that is for investment purposes, for long term, you would not want in a money market account for the very reasons you said you would want to be an investor. But for your case, saving the money is likely the best thing to do. Donna's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Donna, you ha face a dilemma where if you make more money, all that happens is your taxes go crazy on you. Is that about the picture? Oh, that's some of the picture, Clark. But the other picture is that they tripled my contribution to my health insurance because of the extra money that I made. So wait, wait, wait. I, so if you so as you make more money, they charge you more for your share of health coverage, and as you yes. make less, they charge you less. Exactly. Do you exactly. know that's it, very it, unusual the way most employers do it? Um, this isn't through employers; it's through the it's through the health connector. The Massachusetts Health Connector. Oh, so, because our employer, so, my employer it. doesn't offer. Yeah. So the more you make, the more you have to contribute. Right, because so you lose some of that. It. You lose some of that federal subsidy money as your income rises. Exactly. So I, you know, I'm trying to stock as much money away because I don't want to collect Social Security until I'm 70. So I'm trying to stock as much money as way as I can into my own personal Roth. But it's going in one hand and out the other because they tripled the contribution plus they take taxes out. So that extra ten, nine or ten thousand I made um, is almost gone. So the alternative in your case would be not to do a Roth IRA and do what I don't talk about a lot, which is the old traditional IRA, because that would directly dollar for dollar every dollar you contribute would reduce your taxable income. Okay, so I can I can um, transfer that Roth to a regular IRA through... Um, so through my, so the money you've already contributed to a Roth is 
is there. But I'm talking about moving forward, do a traditional IRA. You're allowed to do six grand in a year, or once you are 50 and older, you're allowed to do seven grand in a year. And that will um, directly reduce your income by the amount that you have in that going into that traditional IRA each year. So where doing a Roth IRA doesn't help you at all on this um, subsidy on your health coverage, doing a traditional would directly reduce that reported net income. So that would be my best suggestion for you. And the health subsidy thing is so confusing and I'm glad that you've been able to figure out that just small increases in your income from working extra hours end up generating net less money to you than working less hours because of the subsidy that you would lose otherwise. Odd, isn't it? Donna's situation speaks to all the confusion about how you buy your own individual health coverage. I'm going to give an update on that just ahead. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. Our websites, clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So I was just talking with Donna moments ago about issues with health care and questions about potentially losing a subsidy that's available to her. And it reminded me how many questions we've had over the last few months, more than we've had probably in the last five years combined, about buying individual health care coverage. And it's because of the disruption in the marketplace, 60 plus million people at some point or another losing their jobs this year, and tens of millions losing their employer-provided health coverage. And the reality is, it's really something that if you've never done it before, it first seems really confusing and hard to understand buying an individual policy. So let me first start by explaining if you want to buy an individual policy, if you want to get coverage, there are basically three ways you can look at this. One is you're allowed to buy what I call a junk insurance policy if you're needing insurance to tide you over till you can find a new job that's going to have health coverage. A junk insurance policy is one that does not comply with any rules requiring specific coverages. It will not cover pre-existing conditions, and it doesn't have to pay any significant amount of money for any condition you might have. If you're hospitalized, the coverage runs out uh, in hours or usually two or three days that you'll run out of coverage under a junk policy. And the premiums look really low, but what you get is really, really minimal. Um, Where people don't realize when they bought a junk policy that they're in one that the chips are really down, it's not going to help them, is if you have minor routine things, they seem good. They'll typically pay for a normal doctor visit. They um, 
may pay for a small amount of lab tests and things like that. But the second you get to um, specialty medicine, a serious illness, or anything involving emergency care or hospitalization, that's when you realize you don't really have true health insurance. And so you're paying not a lot and you don't get a lot. But for some people, it feels like the right option. The second thing is there are faith-based cooperatives where people pool money into a risk pool and the money is used to pay reimbursement to people for bills they have. These faith-based plans are available in communities all over the country and they are not traditional health insurance. And the plan does not have what's known as um, true underwriting, meaning there's not enough money. If a lot of people got like a serious illness in a pool, you run out of money. So they ration payments or they reach a point they can't pay. Um, not everything's covered. Requirements about what's covered are up to each plan because it's a faith-based thing not up to government. So these are the first two options. The third option is where you go to healthcare.gov and then based on your state, you'll stay there or you'll go to a state, what's known as marketplace. And there are situations where even though open enrollment for 21 doesn't start till November 1st, and so coverage would not begin till January 1st. There are people who've lost their jobs this year that are eligible for coverage uh, almost immediately for the remainder, the final quarter of 20. And depending on your income, you may be eligible to become a Medicaid recipient at basically no cost or based on lack of income, but some income, may be able to qualify for virtually free coverage through healthcare.gov in a policy that covers pre-existings, has pretty big deductibles, but then beyond that covers virtually all your medical costs. So if you start at healthcare.gov and you qualify to get a policy for the final quarter of the year after a series of questions, you'll be able to put in your personal situation and see what, in fact, you qualify for and what, if anything, it would cost you. And then you could make a decision if it's basically free or nearly free to enroll there. If you still want coverage but you can't afford the options that the premiums would call for at healthcare.gov, that's when you look at the other two alternatives of a faith-based plan or one of the junk insurance offerings. You also, again, November 1st, will have the opportunity to see where it would price for you at healthcare.gov for 21 if you have to buy an individual plan. I hope that made sense. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. And I'm sorry, I forgot who's up next. That would be me. And this is from Roger in Alabama. Roger says, I got a recorded call from someone claiming to be from Amazon 
reporting suspicious activity on my account. They said someone was trying to buy an iPhone for $799. They asked me to press one to approve or press two to reject. I did neither. I hung up and then I called the number back and it was a private number. So I didn't really do anything, but I'm wondering what do you think the scam was and what would have happened if I had pressed number two to reject? Oh, let me tell you, bad stuff would have happened from there. And I'm really glad that you posted this because this is a huge problem right now, not just involving Amazon, but this is what's known as a pretexting scam where by text, email, or phone call, you get a notification from a financial institution, a retailer, whatever, uh, saying that there's activity on your account. And you start thinking, hey, I didn't buy an $800 iPhone. And without realizing it, you click the two, you um, then are asked for information. Before you know it, you have accidentally, if you keep going through the process, given up personal information or account information that uh, in the worst case in the Amazon.com and Walmart.com kind of scenarios, someone gains access to your account and they start buying things as if they're you and then you've got a real mess to to clean up because basically the pretext predicted the future. So anytime you get any notification from any source like this, What you do is you, if it's a phone call, you hang up, if it's an email or a text, go to the website of the actual business, if if you do business with them or bank, sign into your account, and that's where you'll see if there actually is an issue going on with your account being hacked or breached. Joel? Clark Dory in Pennsylvania says, can a teen who earns money from babysitting or lawn work use the money to open a Roth if they're not receiving a W-2? Yes, as long as you keep records of what you've earned and you report that income, you can then in turn do a Roth IRA. And so income that you receive is absolutely valid for doing a Roth IRA when it's income for work. The only time it becomes suspicious or questionable is within a family. If a family member is paying you to do chores or something like that, that's something that's going to be frowned upon and probably rejected if you ever were audited. But um, that the odds of that aren't that high. But anyway, if you want to play it clean and straight and you're earning money doing activities and getting paid for those activities just a simple recording in a um, one of the note programs in your phone or keeping just a simple ledger of who you're making money from in the year in a notebook or something like that you would have documented properly and you can do your Roth IRA Kim Bo in Florida says, I had a credit score of over 800 points, but recently it dropped 83 points because of a $9 charge on a credit card that was reported over 30 days late. It's a card that I seldom use. Seriously. Seriously. A $9 charge. You know, uh, there are a number of financial institutions that don't report a trivial amount. I think they consider anything trivial below $25. Uh, ruining your credit over a $9 oversight 
is unconscionable. Well, to be fair, with late fees, it was 10 but still, <laughs> it's a monster mega bank, and they did indeed report it to the credit bureau. Both thought that it was on auto pay, so it really wasn't with intention, and he just has no idea what he's supposed to do about it right now. Of course, he has since paid it, but wonders, is there anything else that he can do, or is this going to negatively affect his credit for seven years? It will only uh, severely affect you for a while. Um, that will steadily shrink. But unfortunately, the way the scoring models work, it might as well have been $900 instead of nine. And what I want you to do is I want you to call the bank and I want you to talk to customer service, be very polite, say, um, you know, this was a clerical problem on my part. I thought it was on auto pay. Um, this has devastated my credit score. Can you remove this item because of the trivial amount of money? I've heard that other financial institutions do not report you in such a way if the amount is less than $25. Pitch it, see what you can do, and also it is their option how they handle this but think about what they do with somebody who prior to this had a near-perfect credit score, the kind of customer you want to have, alienating you for life seems like a really bad idea. Let me know how you do after you talk with the bank. Joel? Clark Vicky in Georgia says, I'm considering listing my home. Would you recommend listing it now or in spring 2021? And, and how do you think the election could affect the housing market? The housing market is intensely strong right now and short of product. And there's a bunch of demographic reasons and then psychological reasons with the low interest rates. Low interest rates are going to be a much bigger factor than anything that would happen with the election unless we got into widespread civil unrest and uh, violence tending towards things that would have people start uttering the word civil war. Short of that, the housing market will just slide right through this fine. And the housing market is so strong right now that my normal advice of waiting till about March 1 to put a home on the market does not apply today. Test the market, see what you can get. You get a great offer pretty quickly. You know you got it done and you didn't have to wait till spring. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jim. Hi, how are you doing? 
Great. Thank you, Jim. You are interested in joining me as a real estate investor. What are you thinking of doing? <laughs> well, I've owned real estate before, um, and I own some now, but I don't want any more rentals. Uh, uh, enough <laughs> of tenants, huh? Yeah, enough of the uh, enough of that. It was it was okay. It was just eh, it was more work than I wanted to do. But I am interested in finding out how I would structure a deal with my kids if I were to invest in their first homes as an investment, uh, being on the deed and not on the loan, and just waiting to cash out when they. When and if they sell the house in five to eight years, you know, most people, their first house is, they own them five to eight years as an investment right now because my portfolio looks okay in most areas, but real estate is a hard asset that I think I want to be more heavily into right now. And you're, you feel like your kids are a safe zone for you to be involved in. All right. So let me say yeah, something to it you, would Jim. Help them as well because they're not quite they haven't quite saved enough sure Uh, they they have saved some but they're probably a couple years away so being the rates are low right now and everything i don't know i thought maybe this might be a solution for both of us so let me tell you how people are doing that now and it would require that in order everybody knows what's going on and you do it exactly right It would require the help of a real estate lawyer, not big money with a real estate lawyer, but uh, them, it's pretty easy to do, is you do a shared appreciation mortgage where, uh, let's say they take out a traditional first mortgage for a portion of the purchase of a home, you do the mortgage for the remainder of the money they need, and it's one that instead of them paying you interest on it gives you a right to a portion of the increase in the value of the property over time so you relieve financial pressure on an adult child while uh, they are living in that home and when they decide to move on and they sell that home that's when you get a portion of the increase in value for having put up a portion of the purchase price of the home it okay. leaves you not as a technical owner of record on the home which you don't want to be because generally if you are on there at time of purchase the lender is going to expect you to also be a reliable um, you know a, a liable party I should say on the mortgage the first mortgage that they would be taking out on the property I see so is this a concept you've heard of before with the shared appreciation? I think I've, I haven't heard of shared appreciation, but now that you explain it, yeah, it makes perfect sense. So what I would do before you run any clock time with any lawyer, any, and it needs to be a real estate lawyer, by the way, before you run any right. clock time, do reading online about how shared appreciation deals work so that you already understand the basics of it and your adult child or children you would do this with have to be comfortable with it as well before you would get involved but it gives you what you're looking for and that is the ability to not have to worry about managing a rental property but putting money at risk you have a possibility 
of reward if the property appreciates over time. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.